0: Welcome to The Lancet Podcast. I'm Aaron Van Dorn, speaking to you from The Lancet's New York office. It's been an eventful October in the U.S. presidential election, with Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton opening up a sizable lead over Republican nominee Donald Trump. But lost in all the noise surrounding the election is what the various potential outcomes could mean for U.S. healthcare policy. While healthcare policy hasn't played a very large role in the presidential election this year, we wanted to reach out and speak with some of the people who helped shape policy and craft the ideas that end up becoming bills in Congress, think tanks. In Washington, D.C., think tanks serve as an important incubator for ideas, allowing policy experts to draft ideas and try and move the conversation in one way or another. Many think tanks have an explicitly political slant, while some try and remain studiously neutral. We wanted to reach out to policy experts on both sides of the spectrum to see what an election of President Clinton or President Trump would mean for U.S. health care policy and the Affordable Care Act in the new year. While we're still working on finding a conservative think tank to speak with us, the Center for American Progress was happy to explain how they think election 2016 will affect health care policy going forward. I spoke with Topher Spiro, Vice President for Healthcare Policy at the Center for American Progress, to discuss how we've used the implementation of the Affordable Care Act, the election, and ways forward. So the last week of the election has been an especially turbulent one, even by the standards of Octobers. We have a lot of questions about what's going to be happening. It looks more increasingly like we're going to be seeing a Clinton administration, but Things can change at any moment, as we've seen. So the election aside, how do you think the implementation of the Affordable Care Act has gone? Has it lived up to its promise, and what areas do you think need to be improved upon?
1: Well, let's look at some metrics. I think the first metric is on the number of uninsured that have been covered. And we've seen that the Affordable Care Act has covered an additional 20 million Americans, which is obviously one of its important goals and gives a lot of people peace of mind when they go to bed at night. It has driven the rate of the uninsured to a historic low below 9%. And on another metric, which is the growth in health care costs, it has certainly contributed to a historic slowdown in growth of national health care spending. Now, a lot of that's due to economic conditions and fallout from the recession, But there's no doubt that the Affordable Care Act contributed somewhat by reducing payments to hospitals, to Medicare Advantage insurance companies, and in creating incentives for providers to provide more efficient, higher quality care by changing the payment system from one that reimburses on a fee-for-service basis to one that reimburses based on the quality of care. I think overall it's gone pretty well. It has been a bit of a bumpy road and we still haven't, on the exchanges, reached a point of equilibrium. And by equilibrium, I mean premiums are not yet in line with actual costs. And what we're seeing is that actual costs of the new enrollees are not growing that much, but premiums have not yet caught up with actual costs. And that's why we're seeing some of the insurers face financial losses and exiting the exchanges. It's because in the initial years, they underpriced their premiums. Some of them did that as a deliberate strategy to sort of gain market share. Some of them, it was difficult. They didn't have experience with these customers and it was difficult to accurately predict how much they would cost. So there was underpricing in the initial years and what we're seeing in 2017 for next year, we're seeing significant premium increases to sort of catch up and correct for that underpricing. I expect that once that correction is made, and premiums come in line with actual cost. that will reach a sort of equilibrium, and then things will be stable going forward.
0: So looking towards the future, what do you expect from a potential Clinton administration in addressing health policy going forward? Given the history of Republican opposition to the Affordable Care Act, what concrete steps do you think she could make to improve upon the existing law?
1: Well, she has laid out a really robust agenda, and, and she's been very clear about it and specific about it. One type of reform is to address improvements that need to be made to the Affordable Care Act. For example, beefing up financial assistance to middle-income people and their families where the subsidies, frankly, aren't big enough to draw enough people into the exchanges. So that's an important thing to do. The other thing is to address some gaps in rural areas where there just aren't enough incentives for insurers to enter the market. That's not an Affordable Care Act problem. That's a problem that predated everything to do with Obamacare. It's frankly just an issue of there aren't enough bodies in rural areas to provide a big enough revenue source for insurers. So on that front, she has proposed a public option. A government-administered plan that can come in where there isn't much choice and that's one of the remaining issues that needs to be dealt with because we are finding in rural areas especially there's oftentimes one insurer or two insurers and that needs to change.
0: In a potential Clinton administration that has a either divided or united Republican Congress facing her, which of these reforms do you think are likely to actually be enacted?
1: Well, that's the big question is with the recent developments in the race, whether the Democrats will take over control of Congress. If that happens, then it's possible to see a path where many of her proposed reforms could be enacted. There's a process for reconciliation in the Senate that allows changes to be made that would have a budgetary effect with a simple majority of senators. So the the filibuster would not apply. So if that happens, then I think we could see some very significant changes. If Republicans retain control of the House, I think there are probably a number of areas where she could seek a deal with Paul Ryan. There's also a lot of opportunity for administrative executive action, both to further stabilize the exchanges. And on another important issue that she has made a priority to take action on the high cost of prescription drugs. There's a new agency, actually two new agencies created by the Affordable Care Act that have authority to address payment reforms, including payment reforms for drugs. And that is an important thing because it's the highest health care priority of the vast majority of Americans, both Republicans and Democrats. That's what the polling
0: shows. On the other side of the table, what do you think an, a potential Trump administration's health care policy would look like? And given the likelihood of a potential Trump administration having a united Republican government, what would health care policy look like after Trump's first 100 days? So I think one answer
1: to the question is we don't really have any idea. He's been so erratic and His plans have no specificity. He's changing them day by day. So I think one thing to expect is just a basic level of uncertainty, unpredictability, and just an erratic nature to governing, which is kind of scary. But the other thing uh, to say is that of the policies that he has put out or specified in any detail, we know that they would cause great harm. He's pretty clear about wanting to repeal the Affordable Care Act. That policy alone would cause 19.7 million fewer people to be covered by health insurance. And if you look at his policies writ large, he does a number of things that would weaken insurance coverage and destabilize insurance markets. And altogether, A nonpartisan RAND Corporation has estimated that his policies would reduce the number of uninsured people by up to 60 million people. So that's a clear difference from what a Clinton administration would do. The same group, the RAND Corporation estimated that her policies to beef up financial assistance through tax credits to add a public option, that those policies would increase the number of insured people covered by the ACA by 14.5 million people. And that's on top of the 20 million people already newly
0: insured. So political and economic considerations aside, if policy was up to you and you could implement what you thought was the best possible health care policy for the United States, what would it be? What would your vision of the ideal health care policy look like?
1: I think that one country to look to is Germany and I think it's important to be clear that many people assume that Europe is all single-payer healthcare systems and that's not true. Germany is not a single-payer healthcare system in the sense that there are many non-profit insurers that are providing insurance coverage. What it does is through the tax system ensures that everyone contributes based on their ability to pay. So insurance is affordable for everyone. And then people have a choice of insurance providers. And the other thing that Germany does is it overlays a budget constraint on healthcare that ensures that healthcare spending will not grow too quickly relative to GDP. And that's important to make sure that enough economic resources are preserved, not squeezed out by healthcare so that investments can be made in education, infrastructure, things that the United States is severely under-investing in. And how it works in Germany is basically there's negotiations between the insurance companies and the providers and drug companies. Those negotiations take place at a national level, they occur within this budget constraint and if they don't reach agreement, there's an arbitration. So there's negotiation backed up by regulation to ensure that payment rates for providers and for drug companies remain in sustainable levels. In the U.S., I think this this concept is starting to be imported in states like Maryland and Vermont that have, quote-unquote, all-payer rate-setting systems. And what happens in Maryland is all of the hospitals are paid the same rates by insurance companies that happens within a budget constraint that ensures that the state's Healthcare spending does not grow too fast relative to the state's economy. So uh, we have a couple of states. Vermont has just applied to do this too. That are trying this out, and I think as evidence accumulates that this approach works, that we could see more and more states adopting this framework. Obviously, at first it will be more of the bluer states, and change takes time. But I think we're starting to see the seeds of change.
0: Well, Mr. Spiro, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today.
1: Thank you.